Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Thousands of uh, businesses across the United States of America um, have been, their physical uh, properties damaged, their storefronts uh, shattered, their merchandise looted, some of them uh, just absolutely burned to the ground. Um, That can cause all manner of stress and distress, not least of which is, uh, you know, what do I do now? I mean, how do I, do I, do I? Um, reopen? Do I do what is required to uh, restore my my place of business and, and do business in this way again, doing this thing? That's a huge question. Um, how do I do that? Um, and then what do I do maybe differently than I did before now that I have this very strange opportunity to rethink um, what it all looks like and how it all functions. I'm going to actually have that conversation with Bill English in just a moment. I want to cover um, two quick headlines before I get there. I found this really fascinating this morning. Um, this this is a this is a headline um, that starts with the Mayo Clinic, and so I that always fascinates me uh, to see and read things that are you know directly related to the communities in which we are broadcasting. And so um, if you've ever been to the Mayo Clinic or if you've ever been to any uh, clinic affiliated with the Mayo Clinic, this is a fascinating um, article. It's posted right now at Stat News. Mayo Clinic sharing patient data with companies is fueling AI innovation and, of course, raising concerns about consent. So apparently the Mayo Clinic entered into... An agreement with six has entered into over the past two years uh, agreements with 16 different companies who now have access to uh, patient data. Obviously, you're not identified in the patient data, but your data, if you've ever been a patient at the Mayo Clinic, is now being used by 16 uh, tech firms to make digital products and services that are uh, AI related in terms of transforming the way that we, you know, identify problems and um, and deliver care. I just thought that was fascinating. And if you've um, if you're interested in that, that is posted at statnews.com. Mayo Clinic patient data fuels AI uh, innovation. I thought that was fascinating. Um, uh, And then um, and then a couple of other headlines this morning just to make you aware of Um, one. One of the ways in which Americans are handling depression and anxiety is getting um, prescriptions from their doctors. And so we have a spike. I don't, I don't think this is going to surprise anybody. Um, but prescriptions for antidepressants um, have been spiking across the country to the point that they're now uh, apparently uh, there's a shortage. Um, and so let me just encourage you to consider things other than drugs. Um, I'm not saying that antidepressants are not necessary for some people. I am suggesting 
that um, getting really good sleep and sleeping regularly and turning off the news and exercising and drinking water and praying and reading your Bible and talking with other Christians um, and listening to praise music and talking it out and walking it out and praying it out and sweating it out are all um, really important parts of working through depression and anxiety. And so let me just encourage you. Um, I'm not discouraging anybody who who rightfully needs an antidepressant from um, from getting a prescription or taking one. What I am suggesting is that there's a lot of people in America right now um, on antidepressants who really just need um, Jesus. That's a terrible, that's probably a terrible way to phrase that, but I think that's the truth. Um, and then in some seriously sad news, senior citizens in subsidized housing uh, have been dying alone and unnoticed during the pandemic. And so let me encourage you, this is a, this is an article posted at ProPublica today. Um, the numbers are really horrifying. And um, people are dying by themselves um, unnoticed. And so let me encourage you today uh, to check on your neighbors. Every single one of us needs to check on our neighbors today, uh, particularly those who are vulnerable, um, whose health is compromised, those who are old or older. Um, let's just be sure we don't lose sight of one another. I know this has been going on a really long time. And as you and I maybe have more freedom to get out and about, um, let's take notice of of people who cannot yet do that or um, or are always unable to do that. So let's just take real notice today. Check on your neighbors. Next up, Bill English. He and I are going to talk about how businesses can recover from the riots. We'll be right back. We're clearly returning to a sense of normalcy. Bill English is back, and so is his walk-up song. Uh, Bill from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks. I thought he was going to do the Eeyore song as my walk-up no, this morning. No, you know? I think we've decided that We're we like you better We're not going there. Uh-huh. We're not going there. We like you better than that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, I mean, especially because you come this morning um, with such bright, shiny headlines and good news. Um not not yeah. not really. Yeah, so 300 businesses in a 3-mile um stretch of Lake Street in Minneapolis um and businesses in a 1-mile stretch of University Avenue in St. Paul. Those are just 300 of the thousands of businesses across the United States of America where not only um do they have to do some physical cleanup, they have to now decide um, what to do next. And so I just thought it would be really, really helpful for you to lay out for us, you know, the categories, the strategies, things that business owners need to be thinking about as they turn toward recovery. Yeah. And so I, I tried to group these and I saw, sorry, I got these late to you, but I tried to group these into three basic buckets. The first bucket is cash. The second one is insurance. And the third one is uh, governance. Cash is king here, right? Uh, especially when you're you're probably losing money by being closed, and now you're looking at reopening, and you and you're going to reopen with the idea that you're going to make money, but maybe you won't make money if you're following certain state mandates that you can only open at 25 or 50 percent capacity. Now I don't know about other states in the union. I know here in Minnesota, 
the governor has mandated that certain types of businesses can only open if they operate at a certain reduced capacity. He's talking mainly about restaurants and fitness centers and other places like that. And so uh, you have to kind of look and say, am I, am I going to lose more money by opening or, or am I going to be able to reach a, a, a cash flow positive or am I going to lose less money by opening and maybe at some point reach cash flow positive? The only way you're going to know that is to um, uh, do, do your math. cash break. Well, it's yeah, it's an Excel. It's an Excel. Okay. Um, and you got to know your cash break even. You just have to be sure that that you understand your sources of cash and your uses of cash, what's coming in and what's going out. And are you able to sustain and for how long can you sustain okay, given so, certain operating levels? So we have considerations um, related to cash and there are some loans available. Um, if you didn't file for PPP, you can still file and you should file now. Um, yes. Consider an economic injury disaster loan. What is that? Uh, that's an idle. It's an SBA loan. Uh, right now, they're only doing it for agriculture. But had you uh, applied earlier, you you could have gotten a loan. It's basically a 30-year loan at 3.75% interest. First 12 months doesn't have a payment structure. And they've been very generous. These are economic injury disaster loans are uh, the types of loans that you hear about, like when tornadoes go through a town and you hear that the government is going to offer low interest loans to the businesses to rebuild. That's the kind of loan that this is. And what the president did was he declared the entire nation under an economic disaster because of COVID. And so any business in the United States can apply for one of these. Okay, so um, and then obviously you could you could go and have a conversation, um, what you're calling a main street loan for midside midside businesses, um, right. and and that's important as well. We got to take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about insurance and let's talk about governance. I'm having a conversation this morning with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. We are talking about what you can do um, as a business owner to recover if your um, uh, if your business has been damaged uh, during these recent riots across the United States of America. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. We have talked about uh, cash as the number one consideration that you need to make as a business owner. What is your cash break even? And then what are all of the uh, what are all the conversations surrounding that? And then, um, Bill, let's talk about insurance. Yeah, I just this is quickly... sort of like what insur insurance is for. <laughs> well, it is, but it depends on what you bought, right? Because okay. a lot of a lot of companies don't buy income loss insurance, and I, I'm going to talk about that specifically right now. Uh, if you and most income loss insurance, by the way, excludes pandemics. Uh, so even if you lost income due to a pandemic, the insurance company doesn't have to pay. The vast majority of policies are written that way. I would say go ahead and file a claim for income loss, even if you don't have it. File it against your general liability or file it against uh, your income loss insurance. You're going to get denied. But I think there's a movement afoot in Congress to set those kinds of insurance 
uh, clauses aside and force the insurance companies to pay. It's one of Congress's way to put more money into the market without it having to come from the Treasury. So if you if you file a claim, you get denied, then a class action lawsuit gets filed or Congress does something, at least you can be included that way. Uh, it's kind and of crass, I know, but it, it's the way business works. Well, there are also a lot of businesses that have uh, terrorism insurance. And I wonder if once these things are, you know, maybe we're talking yeah. about domestic terrorism. And I would absolutely, if I had domestic terrorism or I had to, if I had terrorism insurance right now as a business, I'd file a claim in that as well, even though, again, it might be denied. I think those are the, some of the language that we're, uh, we're going to be looking for. Um, all right. Yeah. What else related to insurance? Uh, just one other thing. Don't be afraid to file for multiple claims. Let the insurance company sort that out. So if you have a business property loss and you want to file for terrorism insurance, income loss insurance, property loss against your uh, property and casualty policy, file as much as you can. Let the insurance companies deny it. Let them make those decisions. All right. Uh, apparently, um, civil authorities uh, would argue that, yes, vandalism um, is generally covered by insurance. So r riots are a part of this. That's an interesting, uh, interesting note from a listener. Thank you for that. Um, all right. What about governance? And first of all, what does governance mean? Because we're not talking about the government. We're not talking about the government, but we're talking about how you govern, how you run your business. I'm just going to throw out a couple of really interesting things here. First of all, um, uh, if you have a partner and you don't have a good relationship with your partner, now's the time to figure out an end to that partnership. Okay, that's that's one of the things you can do. Secondly, um, if you have uh, changes in management that you want to make as you restart, now's the time to do that. Make those changes now. Get all the changes you can right now. Thirdly, uh, if it's going to take a lot of sweat equity to get your business restarted, you may need to consider giving away some of your ownership to key employees to keep them around so that as a group you can get the business restarted. And that that's something you may not have had to have considered before COVID, but now you have to consider it today. Um, also, be sure that you're leaning on your trusted advisors to help you professionally and personally through the rebuilding process. You know, Bill, it occurs to me that, um, you know, an increasing number of people want to want to leave the city anyway. The COVID thing has been exhausting. Now the protest thing and the riot thing has become uh, exhausting to many, many people. They're looking to move away from city centers. Uh, I do think there's a conversation that lots of business owners will have about whether or not to do uh, all of the gruesomely difficult work that is required to overcome, uh, in, in some of these circumstances, to overcome what has happened to their business. Um, Talk with us about the mental, spiritual, or, you know, personal questions related to the, you know, like, is my heart still in this? Do, do I have the energy and passion to, to do this, to overcome this? Yeah, that's, that's really, Carmen, a great question. Do I have the energy and the mental capacity, and is God calling me to reopen this business, or should I just shut it down, declare bankruptcy, let bankruptcy cleanse the debts, and walk away and say, what's next, God? I think that's a really important question for business owners uh, to ask and to answer. Look, business owners tend to be really crazy smart, highly talented, entrepreneur, uh, highly resilient people. And God may be saying to you as a business owner, it's time for you to move on to the next thing. And what's that next thing? 
I don't know. But you know, you know Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which he has prepared for us in advance to do, right? So maybe our time as an owner is coming to a close, but that experience as an owner has prepared us for the next thing that God has for us. I think we ought to take a look at that and see what God wants us to do. I know several ministry leaders who are who are doing or having those same internal conversations right now. And I think that we need to give one another the grace and the freedom and the space to use both the pandemic and then this social unrest that we're experiencing as a country um, to each sort of evaluate. Am I am I doing right now? Um, I mean, you know, what I'm doing right now is certainly what God has called me to do for a period of time. But you may discover that God's calling you to the next thing. And this, um, you know, this crisis is equally an opportunity to evaluate um, what you're called to do next. Uh, what What is the next good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do? And so let me just encourage you to spend some time evaluating that, discerning that with the Lord. Um, I've got a friend who is roughly my age, um, and he's a dad, and his kids are taking a gap year from college, and he's going to take a gap year to evaluate. I think that's healthy. That's really good. Is it going to cause them all kinds of financial distress? Yes. But you know what? They're already in financial distress. Like, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, you know, um, so they're going to just do something different together for a year, and, um, you know, the kids are going to get probably minimum wage jobs. Um, and they're going to just all work together as a family to have a year where everybody gets to evaluate the next thing, even dad. And I, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I do too. And, uh, and, and then now there's going to be some people in their 50s and 60s who say, I can't start another career. I would just encourage you that, that uh, when people are laid off in their 50s, studies show that 30% of them start businesses. Amen. And uh, and they run them well into their 70s. If you're 55 or 60, you're not you still have another 20 years to 25 years of really good working uh, opportunities ahead of you. So what what does God want you to do? You just just go do it. I, I eventually aspire, I think, to um, just be the person who gets to drive my tractor and bush hog a field. I find that so therapeutic. So I'm just Gee, saying, really? like, it doesn't necessarily have to be something even in your quote unquote field. I, I mean, your field, your field of work, like you should be thinking about the field, like, right, there's a field, it's ripe for harvest, there's a mission field, there's a physical field out there that, you know, somebody's got to cut the hay. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, think broadly, think broadly. Um, there is really, I feel like, for the first time, a really wide open opportunity for people to consider all of the options available in terms of the next good thing that God has prepared in advance for each one of us to do. Um, And so do not feel like you have to return to the same thing that you've been doing. Um, You know, take a deep breath and consider, consider what the next good thing is that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. Thank you, Bill, for lifting that up today. Um, Thank you, as always, for the way that you help us uh, see what is happening in the world and the the math related to it. You're my only math-oriented guest. I only am allowed to have one. <laughs> only one. Well, I'm You're glad. It. I'm glad You're it's it. me. 
no other go. math on the mornings uh, on the morning show. Hey, thank you, right. Bill English, as always. Let me direct people You're to bibleandbusiness.com. We'll be right back. All right, people don't like it when you tell them what they should think about anything. Nobody nobody likes to be told what we should think. Uh, and so 30 evangelical Christians wrestling with the question, what should Christians think about Donald Trump? Well, uh, you you got to think that's going to produce some heated conversation. So let me just go ahead and say half of you are not going to like uh, this next conversation. Half of you are going to like it. That probably means that as Christians, we should talk about it. So we are going to talk next with Ron Sider. He is the editor of a brand new book. I will describe the book as controversial, The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. When the cancer is in remission, we say, God is good. When the pay raise comes, we announce, God is good. But is God only good when the outcome is? Most if not all of us, have a contractual agreement with God. I pledge to be a good, decent person, and God in return will save my child, heal my wife, protect my job. Only fair, right? Yet, when God fails to meet our expectations, we're left spinning in a tornado of questions. In such times, remember this. God is sovereign. James 1.17 tells us that He does not change like shifting shadows. God does permit evil, but he doesn't allow Satan, the father of evil, to triumph. Isn't this the promise of Romans 8:28? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Ron Sider. Many of you will recognize Ron for his generations of leadership in evangelicalism here in the United States of America. He is joining me today as the editor of a brand new book just released, The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump, 30 Evangelical Christians on Justice, Truth, and Moral Integrity. Ron Sider, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Delighted to be with you. Well, you have edited a book that surely everyone will like. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it's uh, fine with <laughs> me. But I say, uh, if you think you'll hate it, uh, read it. If you think you'll love it, read it. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, a, a bunch of Republicans and Democrats and independents. Uh, some of the people have uh, always voted Republican. Uh, um, and uh, we're all Christians saying we want Jesus to be Lord of our politics. Uh most of all, we want him to be in charge of every part of our life. And that includes, of course, our politics. And so we're trying honestly, uh, respectfully, but uh, with the real vigor to um, ask what does a set of biblical norms about justice and truth and moral integrity, uh, what does that say about uh, the actions of our president? Uh, and let me just say that uh, there's, you know, I have a lot of friends on this list of of contributors, um, and I appreciate 
that uh, each one of these 30 contributors has sort of brought their best game here. They're, this is, um, uh, it's, it's concise, um, it's direct, it is honest, um, and I think that it has the potential to provoke really um, difficult but important necessary conversations among those of us who do identify with Christ, who do identify as evangelical Christians, um, and and to be able to figure out how do I have the kinds of conversations with myself and with my brothers and sisters in Christ um, in the midst of what is just a very, very difficult time in our country in so many ways. And we are in the, you know, five months away from a presidential election. And so, you know, the the timeliness of this conversation uh, is not lost on me. Yeah, take Vicki Courtney. Um, you know, she's a, a Southern evangelical woman who is famous for her books and um, for her um, conferences. And um, she says, if evangelicals have any integrity, we've got to wrestle with the implications of the kind of uh, uh, sexual attitudes and behavior and especially attitudes toward women that uh, our president has. She appeals to biblical Christians to think carefully and ask, is this what you want to say to both your sons and your daughters um, about uh, who women are? I'm going to read um, the actually the opening paragraph of the afterword, which you have written. Um, All of the authors in this book recognize that there are many devout Christians who disagree fundamentally with the arguments and conclusions expressed here, which obviously people need to read the book to understand what all of those are. Uh, To all such sisters and brothers in Christ, we say, let's ask our Lord and Savior to help us do a better job of listening to each other and praying together for the well-being of our beloved country and world. Um, Ron, we are learning, I think, the importance of listening, uh, particularly to those who are different from us or come out of a different perspective than than we may have uh, in the midst of the wake of the death of George Floyd. I do think we are listening to each other. I'm not sure that we are yet praying together. Um, and both of those are important. Talk with us about the the tangible first steps that every Christian today, regardless of their political viewpoint, every Christian today um, needs to be called to. Yeah, well, I, I did a couple, I do a regular blog. And in one blog, I talked about why can't uh, pro-Trump and uh, not Trump uh, evangelicals uh, talk together? And another one, uh, can't we at least pray together? You know, um, I think the starting point has to be that our oneness in Christ is more important than political differences. Uh, And part of the tragedy of our country is our politics at the national level and beyond is deadlocked. Uh, They're just not talking to each other and and listening to each other. And wouldn't the church be an excellent place to to model the kind of respectful dialogue that uh, we need at the political level? So I say to every pastor, uh, why don't you decide in the next few months to have a dialogue group in your church, have Republicans and Democrats and independents. If your congregation is all one, then go to another congregation and invite them to join and and say, we're going to talk about uh, the election year, but we're going to start with biblical 
framework, biblical norms, and then we'll try to listen to each other. And if you can't do that, just get a group together of the same mix of people and say, we're going to pray. Absolutely no political discussion. We're just going to pray that God's will be done, that uh, our political leaders become the persons of character the Lord wants, and that the policies that they make are the ones that biblical values about justice and the poor and uh, care for creation and uh, an end to racism, that those biblical values be the ones that shape us. So I think that ought to be at least possible for evangelicals, don't you, Carmen? Well, I, you know, I hold out that everything is possible uh, and anything is possible because I'm I'm one of those uh, Jesus freaky kind of people. Um, and I like people who lean red and lean blue. I think the challenge, Ron, um, are the voices that tend to dominate these conversations are so extremely um, on uh, on the right and the left politically that it becomes it becomes difficult to find some conversational space at, you know, at the point where red and blue actually do intersect. Yeah, I think we all want to preserve this democracy. Um, uh, we all want, uh, I hope we all want an end to racism that continues. Uh, we all want everybody to have decent economic opportunity. We all want religious freedom. So we need to um, find where we have common ground. And, you know, I admit in, in my section of the book, uh, and I admit uh, when I talk about this, uh, not just a matter of admitting, I, I say, um, you know, uh, I, I voted for George W. Bush and I voted for Barack Obama. Uh, there are some uh, things that uh, the current president has done that will uh, um, promote some of the things I care about, sanctity of human life and uh, 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 and marriage. Uh, but um, there are other things that uh, I think are just so tragic. But we have to listen to each other and talk honestly about that. And I think one of the things we have to talk about is what is the current overwhelmingly white evangelical support for this president doing to the name of Christianity in the broader culture? I'm afraid large numbers of evangelical youth uh, are leaving at least the evangelical world and some of them Christianity completely. And we have to ask uh, what's happening to the understanding of who Jesus is in the culture. I, I would argue that um, it provides opportunity for clarification. And you and I can talk about that when we come back from a very brief break. I'm talking with Ron Sider. He is the editor of a brand new book, The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump, uh, 30 Evangelical Christians on Justice, Truth, and Moral Integrity. We'll be right back. I'm continuing my conversation with uh, with Ron Sider um, about not only about uh, the brand new book, The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump, uh, 30 Evangelical Christians on Justice, Truth and Moral Integrity. Um, Ron Sider is a distinguished professor emeritus of theology, holistic ministry and public policy from the Palmer Theological Seminary at Eastern University. He's also the author of such books as Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. You can um, find what Ron is up to uh, at I think you're just at Ron Sider, aren't you? Ronsider.com? Uh, I, yeah, I do a blog at Ron Sider. Um, 
uh, blog.substack, uh, and um, you can Google me and um, get a lot of information. Yeah. He's, he's easy to find, Ron Sider, spelled just like it sounds. Um, all right, so... Ron, um, I think that we are at a point of of real clarification on lots of things. And so last night in my own community, I participated in a um, vigil. I'm going to use the word vigil. It was not a protest. It was uh, it was not um, exclusively a prayer meeting. It was, you know, there were speakers, there were people sharing their heart and their experience. Um, there was prayer. There was scripture. Um, there was angst. Um but there, but it was you know certainly peaceful and it was uh, edifying. I felt and it was illuminating. And you know, one African American after another coming to the microphone um, and sharing their own experience and you know from what's happening in a ninth grade AP classroom where you know the kid is the only black kid in there and you know sort of wondering why when they're uh, you know when the word when a word related to his racial heritage comes up, everybody in the room turns and looks at him. He's like, this is just like the weirdest thing. You guys need to stop doing that. Um, but I'm just saying that like, so things that were as simple as that to very complex generational pain. And um, I think that we are learning a lot about one another right now because we are listening. And I'm wondering if we are going to be able to translate that into really healthy listening and clarification related to the things that are surfaced in the book because we seem to be more committed in some cases to our political parties and affiliations than we are to Christ. Could you address that? Yeah, I think that uh, that's central to the problem. And it's finally, uh, Carmen, it's finally uh, unbiblical heresy. Jesus must be Lord of every part of our life, including our politics. Now, we're finite, limited. We don't always get it right. That's why we need to listen to each other and and keep open and reading and studying. Uh, But uh, if we don't start with that, uh, then we're simply uh, not being Christian. I think that the present moment is just an incredibly clarifying moment for white evangelicals. I just um, did my most recent blog um, on uh, called it "White Evangelicals Racism" and uh, you know the man who was uh, murdered in Minneapolis. And then the subtitle was "Our Hour of Decision." You know the, the truth is, Carmen, that white evangelicals have been central to the racism you know from the beginning um, slavery and then uh, you know the lynchings for a hundred years after the emancipation proclamation um, and during the civil rights movement white evangelicals were at best just quiet in fact uh, some of them um, resisted um, and uh, it's a moment where white evangelicals must follow Jesus rather than a sad history of silence uh, or worse. And um, so I I beg my uh, white evangelical colleagues to say, no, we're going to deal with racism. And it's not just a kind of personal racism. It's it's the structures where, you know, uh, the huge urban educational systems that are largely minority are 
poorly, more poorly funded than white suburban um, educational systems that do a great education. Um, there are the whole range of things. Um, uh, African Americans twice as likely to be unemployed uh, as um, as whites, and and so on. So we've got to deal with that. And I I pray that biblical Christian will rise at this moment and say we're going to end the terrible sin of ongoing racism in this nation. Talking with uh, Ron Sider. Ron, we have a listener question. Um, what do I do because I feel like we're just at the place where I have to choose the lesser of two evils? Well, I think that every political decision uh, is something of that sort. You know, I've never, um, I, I've always voted in presidential elections, uh, but um, I've never thought that the one I voted for was um, all right. Um, it, it's always been a case of, well, this one is better than this, and this one's better than this, and on balance, uh, which is in fact better. And um, no, I'm not trying, the book's not trying to tell people how to vote, but we certainly are asking people to evaluate Donald Trump's personal behavior his policy uh, with regard to the environment and creation care, with regard to um, health care, with regard to uh, uh, empowering poor people, you know, on and on. Is that what biblical norms call us to? And then pray hard, um, read the book, uh, and take a look at uh, what these committed evangelicals are trying to um, um, call your attention to. It's a challenging read. Um, you may or may not find it uh, supporting your views, but we are challenging you to read it in order that we can all engage together in these conversations, uh, these questions that every American is pondering today. How do I apply my Christ-bound conscience to uh, the, the the political question which now stands before all of us um, related to the president of these United States? Ron Sider, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the contribution to a very robust conversation. This book is going to, uh, uh, is certainly going to ignite conversation, and that is really helpful. The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump. Thank you, sir, for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, if people want to go to uh, stock and use the code DANGER40, they can get a 40% discount. Oh, DANGER40 is the code you're looking for. All right. Thanks so much. I'll tweet that out. We'll be right back. Okay, I'm uh, appreciating those of you who are texting in this morning. Um, yes, I absolutely concur. We have to start making some strides in the right direction, uh, and we must remain optimistic. Let us not grow discouraged in doing good. Um, absolutely, we are not without hope. Um, we we are, you know, the victory is ours, right? Christ is overcome. Let's not forget that. And let's be agreed that the change that we need is massive and that you start by making massive change by making changes step by step, stride by stride. And so uh, the kingdom has come um, and the Lord's will be done, right? So how is it that the Lord's will will be done on earth today as in heaven? Because um, we're living in that meantime between the already and the not yet in terms of the kingdom of heaven and you and i are representatives of the king and the kingdom right here right now we are living demonstrations of the gospel in front of other people and so we are the ones who take god into the conversations of the day 
in order that uh, the eternal perspective might be brought to bear on everyday realities. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's what we are uh, in the world to do. If you've ever wondered why in the world you are in the world, that's why. So that the king can find expression and the kingdom principles find uh, a a living out. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.